If you would please turn to Mark, as we are in Mark's Gospel. Once again, this week I want to read from Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. We will take a break next Lord's Day from Mark for Easter message, so we will come back even to this text as you will discover as we proceed in this message in the weeks to come. Listen to the holy, infallible, and inerrant word of God. Mark 3, beginning at verse 20. Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here is my mother and my brothers, and whoever does the will of God, he was my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we ask that we would be able to see Clearly, the accusation that is made against our Savior here in this text. We would also ask that you would give to us the wisdom to be faithful to the mind of Christ Jesus in the context of hostility and accusation. Bless the church in Christ, in his name. Amen. 
We noted last week, as we read the present text before us, that it may be helpful to think about a sandwich with respect to Mark's literary structure of this section. In view of using this illustration, we mentioned that the two outer slices of bread speak of his family coming to him, verses 20 and 21, and then verses 31 through 35. In the middle of that is verses 22 through 30. Between the two slices of bread is the important discourse, a confrontation between the scribes and Jesus concerning his authority to cast out demons and the sin against the Holy Spirit. This morning, we want to focus upon verses 22 through verses verse 27. Herein the scribes accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. As we turn our attention to these verses, we want to briefly remind ourselves where we are in the drama of Mark's story. Jesus, the evangelist, is leading his apostles into living out the great commission of the gospel of good news into the world. Jesus is living the life of the church before her in confronting the opposition and hostility as well as the blessings that come upon the church. There is no doubt that coming to the gospel of the kingdom of God by means of repentance and faith will present a challenging path of discipleship. Do you truly want to follow Jesus? Are you truly committed to what you are going to face? Do you realize that coming to Jesus means that your own family members may view you as being out of your mind, may even view you as being insane? out of touch with what they view as reality. Even so, Jesus will be faced with even a stronger challenge. Those who are supposedly the true religious guardians of Israel's religion in Jerusalem have had enough of him. No longer are the scribes just present and observing Jesus in his teachings and actions as we have seen previously here in Mark. Now there is a delegation of the Jewish chief lawyers, the scribes, coming to see him all the way from Jerusalem. To make a precise accusation against the authority he has demonstrated as the Son of God 
and as the Son of Man. In the way Mark arranges his narrative, these pompous scribes have a perfect lead into the accusation. His family is saying he is out of his mind. Well, if you want to know how insane Jesus is, then all you need to know is that all these demons that he has been casting out is by the power of the prince of the demons, Beelzebub. Verse 22 of our text. Capture the drama and the continual intensity of the scene. The apostles, keep in mind here, the apostles have just been ordained. And suddenly those of whom it is said, know the Jewish religion and its laws, who know them best, have just claimed and accused Jesus of being demon-possessed. The scribes are saying that Jesus has a pact. He is in a conspiracy with Beelzebub to cast out demons. This is not a discussion anymore. This is not a Q&A session at all. This is a point-blank accusation that Jesus defiled Jewish law based on Jewish literature as well as literature that has come to us from the early church to cast out demons would come under the category of a magician of sorcery. Jesus is being accused of being involved in unlawful sorcery, witchcraft. But even more importantly, according to biblical revelation, the accusation of sorcery and witchcraft would be a violation of the first commandment It is idolatry, according to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6. And all of us, I think, know the story of Saul invoking the witch from Endor, which was appalling action before the Lord. You see, the scribes, have crafted their accusation so deviously that they have Jesus entering an idolatrous act against the God of Israel, the very God that his actions have claimed to be his equal. Back in chapter 2, verse 7, this accusation is extremely serious. Furthermore, it appears right in front of the apostles after they have been commissioned by Jesus. Are they, put yourself into the text, are you ready to follow Jesus? whom the religious authorities claim to be demon-possessed, a sorcerer, 
and idolatry. Now, direct your attention to an interesting contrast that Jesus alone initiates. Go back to chapter 3, verse 13, if you will. And note that as Jesus went up to the mountain, he called to him the twelve. The twelve. Those whom, the text says, he desired. Now look at chapter 3, verse 23. He called them, the scribes, to him. It is the same Greek word for call. Mark is underlining that Jesus is the authority. He is in control with respect to both groups of people. His chosen apostles as well as the scribes who are making accusations against him. He chooses his church, the apostles, and he defends his church against the forces of Satan, the scribes. Since he is the supreme object of any attack upon the church. When Satan attacks the church, he is attacking Jesus. As Jesus lives the life of the church, you are confronted immediately in Mark's narrative that the perseverance of the life of the church is a spiritual battle. Principalities and powers of the air are in conflict. Notice the progression of Mark's reference to Satan in his gospel so far. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, but there was no dialogue, you remember, between Jesus and Satan in that temptation in Mark's edition in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Jesus, as he begins his ministry, casts out demons On occasion, Mark records dialogue with a demon as those demons declare the true identity of Jesus in a spirit of unbelief. Now, the arena of Satan is working from within the apostasy of the Old Testament church. These scribes are not raising a question about whether Jesus can forgive sin, making himself equal with God. No, their accusation is that Jesus is a supporter of Satan. In the work, in the language of our day today, Jesus works, he's a tool for Satan. Jesus is involved in a conspiracy with Satan, specifically with Satan's head of the demons, Beelzebub, against the scribes' authority within Israel's religion. 
Mark presents quickly in his narrative how crafty it is as if we are back in the garden. Satan can work within the visible church in attacking Jesus. Are you seeing how crafty Satan is here and how the operation of sinful humanity functions? See the irony in the text. Those who are accusing Jesus of working for Satan are in fact working themselves for the kingdom of Satan against the gospel of good news. As Jesus calls these scribes before him, he asks them a profound, logical question and parabolic form. How can Satan cast out Satan? (laughs) How can that happen? Verse 23, as you focus upon Jesus' thoughtful response to their accusation, I would like you to focus for a moment about his response. Consider that Jesus has absolutely no fallen condition Affecting his mind. He was born without original sin. He alone possessed the soul, infallible, perfect, rational mind that has ever lived on this planet Earth. Treasure that truth in your own heart as you listen to every word, every sentence that Jesus utters. Jesus is absolute rationality. He is the creator and definer of rationality. In contrast, the sinful reasoning faculties of humanity will construct the most bizarre reasons to not repent and believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Mark is accenting sinful reasoning right here before you in this first precise accusation on the part of the scribes and Jesus' response. The perfection and imperfection of using of using the human mind in reaction to the gospel will be seen in this specific incident. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to realize that humans are incredibly irrational and inconsistent in their thinking. Every faculty of our minds is affected by sin. Fallen reason, fallen human reason, and redeemed human reason 
must not think in the same way. Hence, in our text, the perfect mind of Christ is meeting the imperfect, sinful minds of the scribes, minds of unbelief. As a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, I ask you this morning, are you committed to having the mind which is yours in Christ Jesus? As Paul instructs us as the church to have in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. As a product of the evangelistic good news of Christ, will you say with the church of Corinthians, as Paul says to the Corinthians, you have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 16. If you claim to love Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, Paul tells you that you are living in the air when your mind is being tested in discerning God's will. So he tells the church of Rome in 12.5 of Romans. Congregation. A dominant wave of what some label as the postmodern mind. I know that there are some that say we're beyond postmodern. <laughs> are seducing the end our intellects daily. How is your commitment yourself to Jesus holding up as this comes to you daily in our culture, from our culture? We are told that there is no objective truth outside of your own personal thoughts and feelings. Let me assume their worldview in the first person here. I deconstruct the external world outside of me of any true meaning. Then what do I do? I reconstruct my real world internally within me. Within my own, you know the word it is being used now, within my own space, which is authentically true for me. Once I construct my own individual world of reality and identity within me, I then project my own gender, my own race, and my own creed into the world. I will see everything that is outside of my own creative world as a threat. I may even become violent to protect my own internal projection of my space in the world. At least, I may express anger on social media against those who violate my created space 
in identity. After all, I have created myself for my own image. And I am the sovereign of my own world. Please note this. As a person embraces this postmodern narrative, what becomes increasingly obvious is that they do not care how irrational they sound. They do not care about how inconsistent is their thinking. They could care less if they contradict their own thought. They have no quarrel about lying if it fits their own enclosed narrative. As they view their own hypocrisy reflected in the mirror, it is not hypocrisy because they are protecting their own personal world that they have created, which includes lying in hypocrisy. I am amazed in terms of the discussion on TV, on the news media, against each side about hypocrisy and lying. And then Christians get upset about it. Christians get upset. They're lying. They're hypocrites. No. What do you expect? Why would you ever expect them to be honest? Well, return to our text. <laughs> Postmodernism isn't so modern, is it? <laughs> it's not so modern. If you truly embrace the truth of biblical religion, the postmodern spirit is nothing more than the exposure of the depraved heart and mind. It is before you on the pages of God's holy word in the lives of these scribes. They have created their own world in their own image. They have their own sacred space. And Jesus has invaded their space. And therefore, Jesus must go. He must go. I ask you, are you willing to follow Jesus? Keep in mind the cost. The scribes define their own space. They can be as irrational as they want. They can be liars. They can be hypocrites. They can be inconsistent. They can be violent and hateful to all who do not accept their worldview. Are you ready? 
Where does such depravity in the minds and hearts of men lead Jesus? Where is this going? To death. To death. That's what we're seeing, what we will see in terms of the end of the activity of the scribes from Palm Sunday into Good Friday, the Passion Week. Now, where does it lead the church? I got it. That's where Jesus went. He died for me. That's absolutely incredible. We absolutely a cornerstone of our faith and why we're here this morning. But what? Where does that lead me in terms of the church? Ah. We're back to Philippians 3.11, aren't we? A text that I've tried to place before your hearts as a congregation again and again. Where does it lead us? To share in the sufferings of Christ. What does Paul mean when he says we are to have This mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, as he tells the Philippian church in Philippians 2.5, it means to be a servant and to be obedient to Christ. Even, what does he go on to say in verses 7 and 8 of Philippians 2? Even to the point of obedience unto death. Unto death. And as Jesus in our text is responding to the apostasy of the scribes in the Old Testament church, likewise, we cannot be naive to think that sinful minds will not infect the borders of the visible church. Satan loves. The liberalization of the church that embraces the secularization of the culture which undermines the sanctity of the Holy Trinity and the truth of God's infallible word. Congregation, I ask you, are you committed to follow, to be a disciple? The rationality of Jesus. The perfect rational mind of the Son of God against the natural, foolish, irrational mind of the scribes. Are you tuned in? Jesus' single statement in response to the accusation of the scribes comes from a superior supernatural level of rationality from the omniscient wisdom of Jesus. How 
can Satan cast out Satan? This is a question that comes from the superior supernatural wisdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus places the rationality of his response in the form of a literary device known as a parable. This is the first parable you want to note. This is the first parable that appears in the book of Mark. Then in chapter 4, Mark will launch us into his parables. Jesus uses the parable to rebut the accusation of the scribes who have turned the spiritual into an irrational and contradictory concept of Satan against Satan. Jesus uses the device of the parable to combine the revelatory aspects of the natural and spiritual as being interpreted and understood only by the perfect rational mind of Jesus. So the natural illustration of the house and the strong man are interwoven, interwoven in the genius manner to solidify, solidify the superior wisdom of Jesus in combination with the spiritual realm. The house, the natural, cannot stand because it has divided itself in the spiritual realm of the kingdom of Satan against the kingdom of Satan. Satan raised up against himself is absurd. It does not make sense, and it will not stand. After all, if Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, he would have to enter the strong man's house, Satan's house, bind him, Satan, in order to plunder Satan's demons. That is, cast out the demons out of Satan's house. Such action makes no sense. You see, Jesus' interaction with the scribes enables the church to see how ungodliness and unrighteousness of men suppress the truth in their own unrighteousness. As Paul points out in Romans 1.18, the scribes are claiming and believing that they are wise, but their minds are futile and their hearts are dark, says Paul in that same section in Romans. They embrace, they embrace being liars to serve their own ends. They use their corrupt minds to block the coming of the gospel of good news in Jesus. So as Mark's narrative takes us to the cross of the evangelist, he is magnifying before his reader 
how fallen reason takes perfect reason to the cross. Do you see that? Fallen reason will always take perfect reason to the cross. In this fallen world which hates the perfect mind of Christ, violence, violence must be the end for the one who alone possesses omniscient wisdom. The world will have none of this wisdom. Jesus' wisdom is too much an invasion into the world's fallen space. Too much. So on this Palm Sunday, in Jesus' humble entrance into Jerusalem, the week will end with darkened minds making sure that Jesus will receive a violent death on the cross. They will think, they will think that their irrational, hypocritical, lying minds have won. They've won. Oh no. Oh no. Their irrational and darkened minds never anticipated what would follow Jesus' death. What would follow his death? What happened? Notice the scene in Mark's gospel concerning the tomb in Mark 16, 6. A very interesting end of that gospel. You seek Jesus of Nazareth? You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified? He is risen. He is not here. He's not here. Congregation, have you sought and have you found the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth with all your heart, soul, and mind. And as one member in this congregation pointed out to me this week, he does not, by the power of Beelzebub, enter the house and bind Satan in order 
to cast out demons. No, he enters the house and binds Satan as the son of God. Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation of the gospel. And he binds Satan and plunders the house of Satan through his death and his resurrection. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, minister unto us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with the mind of Christ Jesus. Help us to understand his willingness that he himself, according to thy will, crying out that thy will be done, that he himself is the one who goes and secures the everlasting victory over the depraved hearts and minds that lie, deceive, that are hypocritical, that are irrational to the wisdom of God. Place the mind of Christ Jesus in each of our hearts this day. In Christ's name, amen.